watch you walk. How are the wanted posters? They left me wanting. Still haven't made the top ten? What can I say? I'm doomed to be underappreciated. Welcome to the show, Moonlighting fans. Whether you're a Moonlighting fan from way back when, or whether you are new to Moonlighting and you want to know what all the hype is about, you have come to the right place. Hi, I'm Grace. And I'm Shauna. And we're your hosts for the podcast that is all about Moonlighting. When we talk about Moonlighting, we're talking about the Emmy award-winning 80s TV series starring Bruce Willis and Simple Shepherd. So if you're a fan of theirs, you're going to want to stay tuned as we review all 66 episodes. We hope you enjoy this journey with us because we are going to be watching the series episodes one by one and discussing them every week. Now, this is going to take several years, as you can imagine, so please join us because we are going to have so much fun along the way. We will also be releasing bonus episodes of interviews with creators, cast and crew to extend your listening experience. That's right. And we really want to include our Moonlighting fans in this project as much as possible. So write to us and let us know what your thoughts are. And even if you have some trivia to disclose, our email address is fans at moonlightingthepodcast.com. And we will include you in our future episodes. So stay with us. Shauna and I are beyond excited to finally bring Moonlighting into the 21st century for some serious discussions. You up for it, Shauna? I sure am. Well, let's Let's get get started. All right, here we go. Episode four of season three, Yours Very Deadly. Hi, Grace. Hi, Shauna. This is going to be another good episode to talk about. Yes, (laughs) season three. Getting deep into it now. You reckon it's the best season? It's the best season yet, you reckon? I reckon. I do reckon. (laughs) Um, Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. Don't don't you say reckon? (laughs) We don't really say it like you guys use it. We do use it, but maybe in a different way. Oh, okay. Like you, you said, like, don't you reckon? That reminds me of maybe a cowboy movie or something like that. I reckon you better get get out of my town. Hang um, on, let me go and get my Akubra hat. Kubra hat? What's that? The Akubra hat. It's an, a famous Australian brand uh, for, okay. you know, it's sort of like a cowboy hat with a thing on it. Yeah. yeah. I'll send you a photo later. Yeah. Yeah, we don't really say, okay, is it like a Crocodile Dundee thing? Yes, he wears an Akubra hat, yes. Okay, then I know what you're talking about. Oh, okay. So, yeah, you reckon, I like that phrase. Another phrase that I like that Americans don't use a lot is, I'm keen to do it. Are you keen? Yeah, if if anyone's keen, we can go to dinner tonight, you know, something like that. We don't use that word very much. We're not like that. We always say, I'm keen as mustard. (laughs) I like that. Yeah, so so obviously you have the keen brand. Oh, no, no, I didn't know that. Oh, okay. That's why we say we're keen as mustard because there's a mustard brand in Australia called Keen, K-E-E-N. So if we say Uh, we're keen, we're keen as mustard. Ah, oh, that's cute. I like that. Very cute. Well, yes, I will. I absolutely think that season three is the best season of Moonlighting storyline wise and what we, you know, just how the season builds and um, just the quality of the production. Yes, I think they went all out in season three. You can tell. I think there's a lot more on location, the guest stars, the costumes. Yeah, it's all a it's all a great big package. Yeah, it looks very rich. 
I mean, it's debatable. I mean, of course, everyone's going to have their favorite episodes and they might be in season one, two, three, or dare I say four. <laughs> I would never say five. <laughs> <laughs> Even though I think there's one episode in particular in five that's amazing. But um, anyway, I, yeah, I think they've hit their stride here in, in season three, definitely. Mm. But not without its problems, Grace. Yes, I know. But they did a good job of hiding it. For a while anyway. Yeah, yeah kind of, sort of. Kind of, sort of. Kind of, sort of. Things peek through, but it's a great season. So you want to tell us more about this episode? Yes. Okay. Yours Very Deadly. It first aired on the 28th of October, 1986. The director was Christian I. Nyby II, and it was written by Roger Director and Glenn Gordon Caron. The guest stars are Paul Roebling as Ken Woodley, Brooke Bundy as Gail Woodley, Martin Ferrero as Peter Macy, John Cassia as the police detective, Chino Fats-Williams as a post office employee, C. Thomas Howell as a post office employee as well, and mm-hmm. Curtis Armstrong as Herbert Quentin Viola. So this is Curtis Armstrong's first episode. We get yeah. introduced to the new character of Herbert Quentin Viola. He is not credited for this episode. This is kind of a benchmark moment, adding this character for very good reasons, which we'll get into. Yeah. All right. Anything else before we start the episode? Um, no. Start the show. Start the, start show. the show. Start the show. Start the show. Start the show. <laughs> <laughs> well, we get a wide panning shot down a very wet street, Grace. <laughs> Isn't it funny how all of a sudden you're noticing wet streets? <laughs> I know in LA, how many nights would there be wet streets in LA? Yeah, no, you know? I wouldn't think very often. I mean, when I watch CSI Miami, you understand it because it's Florida and it's more sort of a tropical climate, and you would understand why the streets would be wet. But yeah. even though CSI Miami was filmed in Los Angeles, but they did a great job of making it look like it was in Miami. But anyway. But you know what? It it adds a bit of um... glamour, mystery, um, shine. Yes. Yeah. I guess it just films better. The scene, it's night. I guess it gives the light something to bounce off of maybe. Because say at the beginning of Witness, that was another episode where they started at night and the streets were wet. Mm. There just must be something to, if anyone's in production out there, yeah, maybe give us some insight. You know, why do they always wet down the streets? Is it Does it just film better? Yeah. I don't know much about the production side of things, but the only thing I would think would be the reason is that if they don't wet down the street and it's a it's a nighttime shot, it's going to be too dark. They need the light to reflect off the road, do you think? Yeah, that's what I was thinking, yeah. That um, I mean, it just I don't know. Or it just adds another awkward. scary layer to the shot. Yeah. Anyway, so it just follows a car driving past the house of the Woodleys. So then the the camera pans over and we see their house, which is in Hancock Park, beautiful area of Los Angeles where they have these big, lovely homes. Um, Moonlighting filmed here quite a bit. And the Woodleys are having a party. I just noticed it was a really nice street too with the lamps, beautiful lamps. And then then it pans across to the well-lit, very well-lit mansion Mm -hmm. where there appears to be a party going on. So then they show these close-ups from the bottom windows, which shows that there are people there um, mm-hmm. having a drink at the party. I like how the music reacts to each click of the typewriter once mm. the typewriter starts clicking. Yes. 
it goes from the typewriter back to the party, the typewriter back to the party. Um, yeah. And at this stage, all you see is darling, my love. So, yeah, kind of starting the plot off from the beginning. We already know, you know, just from the first few seconds, it's not just a party. Something else is going on. Typewriter, my love. Yeah, kind of already setting the scene for kind of quickly. The, the title frame comes up. Yours very deadly. A play off of, you know, yours very what, sincerely, yours very truly or something like that. Like how you would sign a letter. The old way we used to sign off a letter. Yeah. Um, I mean, you wouldn't do it in an email now, would you? Um, no. Yeah, you'd put more kind regards or, I don't know, some people don't put That's, anything. Exactly. I mean, yeah, it's a more formal way to sign off a letter and probably a handwritten letter back in the day. So the camera pushes in through the window. So now we're inside the party and following the staff as they're handing out drinks and things like that. Yes. It's really good continuity from the outside to the inside, because from the outside, the camera's zooming in and... She's kind of in a maid's outfit or something like that. Maid, yeah. Yeah, she, yeah, she's in a maid's outfit. She hands over the drinks and then from the inside, from the camera, she walks away from those same people okay. past Mrs. Woodley. I thought that was good. That is nice that they kept that continuity from outside to inside. I like that. Did you notice anything unusual at the beginning of this episode regarding the credits? Hmm. Regarding the credits, um, uh, with the credits in the beginning, um, I'm sure you'll tell me in a minute, Grace, but I was looking more at the credits towards the end because I know you mentioned before that Curtis wasn't credited. So I was seeing, you know, it looks like they had credited a few people who were in the episode at the end, but what was going on with the opening credits? Okay. So the reason I noticed this was because I went back to check to make sure that Curtis wasn't credited because I was pretty sure he wasn't. Um, yes. and I went to go in and check to see if his name came up at the start, which I was pretty sure he didn't. Then I went to check at the end and what hit me was it comes up with the guest star, Paul Roebling. Then it comes up Brooke Bundy. Then it comes up with, um, John Cassier, which is the policeman. And then that's it. Yeah. There are no further mm. credits for who's written the episode or who's directed the episode. So I found that strange and I thought, oh, maybe it'll come up later. A lot of times it comes up when um, Maddie comes out of the elevator. Um, exactly. It'll come up with yeah. written by, directed by. But even then, when she comes out of the elevator with the Wobblies, there's still no credits and I'm waiting and I'm waiting. <laughs> I'm doing what Moonies do. We wait and yeah. there's, there's no credits showing up. That's so weird. Okay. So uh, like we were saying, we were talking at the, you know, the very beginning of the episode, it comes up yours very deadly. So it says the title of the show. Yes. And then it kind of goes in the type and all that stuff. Then it says some of the guest stars. Yes. And then nothing. Yeah. That's it. Cause I have noticed, like you said, um, normally during, you know, setting up the plot, they'll give some of the credits, but then the writers and the directors and all that, once they get into blue moon, they usually put the credits up then. But in this case, yeah, when Maddie comes out, Nothing, they never follow up with any other credit. So in other words, the director never got credit. The writers never got credit on this one. No, not on screen anyway. It's so bizarre. There's an interview with Bruce and Glenn only. Bruce mentions that we would still be filming that day and they would quickly put it out on the East Coast because they're ahead of time, aren't they? Sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I've got a feeling this is one of those episodes where they've had to rush it to put it out for that night, for that Tuesday night, and forgotten the credits. 
what other possible reason would there be? Maybe it was one of those episodes where they were filming last minute. I don't think they were running short. It seems like they had plenty to fill the storyline, but yeah, maybe because they did a lot on location, maybe they were running behind and then uh, they had to send it to New York and didn't get all the credits on there. Mm. And then they never got added. Because it's unusual that they end with Herbert and Agnes. There's a lot of time Mm -hmm. spent at the end with them too. So now whether that was a fill-in, who knows? Mm. Because Bruce and Sybil, all they say is, oh, tomorrow. Yeah, it's it's an interesting, it's a $64,000 question, as they say. Yeah, definitely think it's a, a goof, an oversight. Someone dropped the ball and mm. didn't put the credits there at the beginning, you know, for the director and the writer and that, because they're always there. And I think in some later episodes, they start airing them, you know, right over setting up the plot and all that. They'll just put them on there. So, yeah, yeah I don't know what happened there, but that's a good... Um, observation that the full credits never show up at the beginning as Mm. they normally do. And I don't think there's ever another episode that that happens. And we haven't Mm. caught it yet. We'll have to check future episodes. Well, that's another little goof. Yes, very good. You got your eagle eyes going for this episode too. I like it. (laughs) Very uh, interesting. And I guess maybe that answers the question that we're always asking. Why wasn't Curtis credited on that first episode that he was on? (laughs) I guess someone forgot to put the credit on. Probably as simple as that. Poor Curtis. (laughs) I know. Lots was happening that first time on set. Maybe they're kind of scrambling to get Sybil and Bruce a break. And like you said, filmed extra with Agnes and Bert. And maybe time did fall short. Maybe that was the extra added tag. And it just went to air late. Who knows? Mm. That's a a question for the ages. Question for Glenn. wonder if he remembers. (laughs) Yeah. Or Jay. Good grace. Nice catch. Well, Mrs. Woodley doesn't seem like she's enjoying the party too much, you know? She's just kind of standing up there sipping her drink and looking a little forlorn. Yeah, and the party's for her, apparently. At this stage, we don't know, but it's apparently their wedding anniversary, the 10th, I think. And her husband is really noticing, you know, that she's not looking very happy. Comes up to her and checks in, I guess. And he does mention, I wouldn't have thrown this party for you, right, if I knew it wasn't. What does he say to her? He says, I know throwing this party for you would depress you, so I never would have invited you. Oh, yeah. I thought that was kind of a weird, I wouldn't have invited you. Yeah, well, if the party's for, yeah, is it a joke? <laughs> <laughs> or what? I don't know. You get it. Um, yeah, he can't understand why she looks so depressed and she's drinking a lot of gin. Oh, yeah, that's right. Well, it is a party. Yeah, what's going on with her in the moment? Because she doesn't know about the trip yet, because that's what really throws her over the edge. Is she thinking about this guy that she writes back and forth with? Is she just a little bit, you know, when you're you're kind of involved in something that you're uneasy about, sometimes you just can't enjoy the moment. Is that what's going on with her right now? She's busy thinking about her love letters. Okay. It's occupying her mind and um, the love letters are getting quite serious and detailed. um, Yeah. And she's got that on her mind, not a party. Yeah. And this is another moonlighting plot that we're going to have to um, kind of unravel. And you have to keep close attention to the plot line because I think I'm understanding, you know, how everything ends up in the end. But yeah, as usual, it does get a little bit convoluted, doesn't it? Yeah. And it's good sometimes that it's a little bit convoluted because it makes us, well, especially us two, have a really good think about it. Hang on. We have to really go through the plot to make sure that it all works out in the end. And sometimes it hasn't really done so 
But, yeah. I mean, to Moonlighting fans watching Moonlighting, they didn't care. I mean, it was just fun. They're not really wow. – maybe a lot of people did. I'm not saying they didn't. Yeah, but right. it was yeah. more about Maddie and David. So people watching this now, okay. they're sort of waiting, waiting, <laughs> waiting. <laughs> when are we going to get to Maddie and David? When are we going to – yeah. And Glenn always says that, you know, no one was tuning in really to see how the murder was going to be solved or something like that. But anyway, now Mr. Woodley gives his wife my dream – Actually, my parents and I always say, you know, if we win the lottery or something like that, what would we do? And we always say, oh, we take a cruise around the world. (laughs) So he's uh, he's given her my dream vacation, which would be a six month cruise around the world. This is the part that I don't understand. She opens the envelope, which looks like a ticket of some sort or a folder for a ticket. Yeah. But it doesn't show her opening it. So, you know, how does she know it's a cruise? But by looking at it, it looks like a plane ticket to me. And it says transcon. So what's that? I don't know. That might be a fake like, might travel be a company. fake thing. Yeah. But doesn't he say pretty quickly? Does he say it, say it there? Uh, a six month cruise around the world? Now I can't remember if he says it to her. Yeah, I think he does. Um, yeah. Or if she says it to Maddie and David later. Yeah. So he takes the envelope out of his jacket and he tells her that it's a cruise around the world. Yeah. And that's when he says, it's a cruise around the world. You're giving me 10 years. At least I can give you his six months. Six months. That's yeah. nice of him. Yeah, what a what a guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess, you know, he's trying to find some way. He knows she's unhappy and he's trying to find some way to make her happy, I guess. Again, he's kind of behind it all. So as we figure out the plot, we'll see like what's his. Is he gaslighting her, Grace? You know, mm. he's gaslighting her. I'm just thinking about how it ends. I mean, he's the one that was kind of behind the letters and stuff like that, right? He was like orchestrating all of this. Yeah, I was trying to work out the timeline. All right, well, we'll get into that because I think I've written that down somewhere. Okay, Um, I'll figure it out. All right, so she rushes into her bedroom and this is where I notice it's a very Maddie dress, isn't it? Oh, yeah, I was going to say the same thing. Such a Maddie dress. I mean, I don't think that they would use Maddie's clothes on extras. The same shop, definitely. You know what this is like? This is like the pink version of the dress that she wore in Brother Kenny's Player Blonde. That crossover, you know, in the front, like kept coming apart, except that was, yeah, purple or something. But this has like um, shoulder pads on steroids, this dress of hers. (laughs) It's got a shoulder pad on its shoulder pad. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny. And she throws herself down on the bed and she throws down the envelope and she rips up. Very dramatic acting, very dramatic. And she's rubbing her face and just like, my gosh, how am I going to be away for six months with this man wanting me to write him letters? Yeah, because now she's thinking, hang on, if I'm on a cruise for six months, I won't be able to write to this person. Well, she can, but it'll just possibly take longer and his replies would take longer and then the husband would find out. So she wants to still keep communicating with this person. So she's very upset about going away. This is where she lies on the bed and the screen filter goes completely different on her face so that the letters can go across the screen. I know what you mean. And then we can kind of overlay it. And then slowly, slowly her face disappears with the typing Mm -hmm. getting bigger and bolder and more clear. Our love makes me no. (laughs) It's sharing our love makes my life worth living. Okay. Yeah, she's got those letters locked in her little side table. 
that's the only thing that's bringing her peace in the moment, I guess, is reading those letters. You know, she can't even go away for six months with her husband because she's so hooked on writing the letters. Mm-hmm. And then we get people out of the elevator. <laughs> yes, opens right up on Maddie, which is great. Lovely white outfit. Sybil looking wonderful. Yes. It's only four minutes in, so we haven't lost a lot of time not seeing Maddie and David. Get right to it. And Maddie's coming out of the elevator with all of the wobblies behind her, which is not usual. Usually everybody's at work and Maddie comes mm-hmm. in and she walks out of the elevator, walks down the hall and kind of like turns very pointedly, you know, like squarely or something to walk down. It reminds me of like militant or something and everybody kind of following Maddie down the hall. And Every time I see that, I just think it's funny. First of all, she comes out of the elevator with all the workers behind her. Then they all follow her. And then she does a sharp turn around the corner. Um, yeah. And then they keep following her. And it's just, yeah. even though there's no dialogue, I think it's a funny little scene. Oh, yeah. It's funny, cute and different. And then it's kind of like this train of people that are like nonstop behind her, just following her flow of motion. And when she walks in to the office and sees Agnes and Bert and stops dead in her tracks, they all kind of pile up behind her. I think that's the effect that they were going for. It's just like, you know, it kind of is a domino effect. Everyone's stopping dead in their tracks because something kind of surprising is happening in the office. Yes. (laughs) Um, mm, Okay. How do we explain what's going on in the office, Shauna? (laughs) (laughs) Agnes and Bert are going at it. (laughs) I don't know. They're on top of a desk making out and... We have a very horny Agnes, don't we, in this episode? And she met this man, Bert, and he's really doing it for her. You know, she can't keep her hands off the guy. So, you know, I guess we come to find out that she, like, grabbed him, threw him on the desk, and had her way with him. (laughs) And it's funny that Maddie sees that, and she backs out, and she closes the door, and then the Wobblies are trying to look through the window right away. And, yeah, everybody's like, what's going on in there, you know? And then David pops around the corner, doing his David things. Shake, shake, rattle, and shake. roll. Yep. Shake, rattle, and roll. Definitely a separate shot. Yeah. No one else is there. It's kind of obvious. And then, uh, yeah, but he kind of looks like, what's going on, you know, with everybody looking and gathering in the hallway? What's the scheme, team? Fire drill? <laughs> Fire drill. And as he makes his way down, there is a wobbly that stands out, Grace. <laughs> this is a woman. Now, she's kind of come out of nowhere. I don't think we've seen her before no. this episode. But she does appear in at least two other episodes in season three as a blue moon worker. I mean, we don't know what the what the relationship was, but um, seems to be something was going on between she and Bruce at the time. There's a few hints and things that point to point to that. And one is as he walks down the hall here, Maddie's looking at David and David's looking at Maddie. But then Sybil, I guess, turns her back and as she does that he looks at this blonde woman and reaches out and touches her face kind of strokes her face right before he makes his way through the wobblies and and comes up to maddie oh yeah yeah i've never noticed that because it's behind the crowd sort of thing you're saying that she had a relationship with him and as he's walking past he's touched her face that's what it seems like to me Mm. yeah it seems very intimate it seems like it was just a little spontaneous thing that bruce did kind of reached out and kind of caressed her face seemed a bit out of character. Well, I mean, not that David Addison, I don't know. Like, why would he do that to a wobbly? It, it is a bit no. out of character, you know? It, yeah, it's not something David Addison would do, no. And the other thing about this particular girl is we haven't seen her before, and she's just kind of popped up here. 
she's in Atomic Shakespeare as the Zounds What Mounds girl. And in the commentary, when Bruce and Sybil are making comments about the episode, when she comes on screen, Sybil says, oh, there she is. Is that her? Like, how many workers did you have that year? And he's like, I don't have any of them. That's the same girl. And then she appears again in a, and he like kisses her in Atomic, right? That sounds what Mounds yeah. scene. And then she's also in the beginning of Blonde on Blonde. She's in her bra, like as they're playing strip poker. So yeah, just, uh, I mean, I'm definitely surmising and supposing. <laughs> I don't know anything about this girl, but it's just kind of an interesting point to notice. He does touch her face as he's coming down here. And yeah. Very kind of interesting a, observation, yeah. Shauna. Yeah. And he's got a little arrogant swagger all about him. <laughs> Bruce is really feeling himself, you know, here season three. He uh, sure is. Real. Anyway, just wanted to point all that out. It'd be nice to know what our Moonies think about that. Anybody's noticed yeah. it or if anybody knows anything about it. Yeah. David makes his way, opens the door, sees the same thing that Maddie saw, Agnes and Bert <laughs> on the desk <laughs> writhing around. <laughs> and he shuts the door. I love how we and he I shuts love the door. Yeah, I love the, the physical comedy here, how he opens the door, has a look, closes yeah. the door, and then has another look. Yeah, has another look and kind of says to Maddie, you let this type of thing go on in your office and yeah, grabs her arm. It's good how when he shuts the door again, he goes, La Dolce de Pesto, mm-hmm. which is in reference yeah. to La Dolce Vita, which was a mm. an Italian movie from 1960 by Federico Fellini. It was a bit saucy for the time and it was banned from playing at certain places. So that's why he says La Dolce de Pesto. I really love it when he says that. (laughs) Yes. And is that a line? It's almost like one of those lines that you'd think he said again or it was like repeated later, but I don't think so. But it's a line that kind of sticks, like La Dolce de Pesto. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think he said it again, but... um... yeah. Yeah, interesting. Dolce de pesto. You allow this kind of thing to happen in your office? Me? Well, I didn't say it was a bad thing, did I? I did. <laughs> he like holds onto her wrist or something and she like pulls her arm away. And Yeah, I noticed that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Maddie. David walks in and throws the uh, white flag down, you know, and says like too much time in the huddle, which is a football reference. Yeah, and then I love the way that Agnes and Bert fall off. They kind of do like a team effort falling off, of you know. Desk. Off the desk, yeah. Mr. Um, Hayes, Miss Addison. (laughs) Yeah. I love, and I'm sure you have all of the messages that she reads. I love that. The way the wrong message goes with the wrong (laughs) company. It's so (laughs) funny. It's clever. It's so clever. Time's called. They said your radiator's on the blink. Uh, Your poor man called. He uh, wants to know if you want to renew your subscription. The mechanic called. He said it was... uh, Time for more chlorine. <laughs> that's amazing. I love that. And I love Mr. Hayes, Miss Addison. Yeah, that's, I love that. I always love that. But Maddie's angry. Ms. DePesto. She's not happy with what she's seeing here. DePesto's in trouble. Everybody's just facing Herbert and Agnes wondering, what, what did we just witness? So Maddie's angry. I would like to see you in my office. And I think David and Mr. And then he says his name. Viola, Herbert, Viola. Yeah. Oh, Curtis. Hi, Curtis. Hi, Curtis. Welcome, Curtis, to Moonlighting. Yes. Welcome, Curtis. Welcome, Bert. And what an entrance. I know. (laughs) And and Curtis said in his book that he and Elise had only met a few minutes before, but they saw that their first scene together was going to be 
a big makeout scene. So they went and kind of talked and got to know each other a little bit before they were like lip locked on the desk. Yeah, I think he said they just went out for coffee or something and talked to each other for a little while and learned a bit more about each other before they did the scene. Because yeah. imagine how difficult that would be just to start doing that and not knowing the person at all. Oh, I know. Yeah, I mean, I guess actors have to do it all the time, but that's the part of the business. And yeah, just kind of a the beginning of a really nice friendship that they've built over the years and kept, you know, yeah. they're, they're still friends. It's wonderful. Yeah. So uh, welcome, Curtis. Yes, he's a... Wonderful addition to the cast. He absolutely is. My only caveat is (laughs) it's less time with Maddie and David because we have this other couple to focus on. But that's the point of bringing him on to give Sybil and Bruce a break from filming so they don't have to be in every scene because it was being, you know, becoming very taxing, which is totally understandable. So I do welcome him in that way, but it only means that we get a little bit less Maddie and David. So I'm selfishly going to. Just put that one little caveat on it. Yeah. I think um, it was a nice addition. You've got a a romantic relationship for Agnes. And what's interesting is the relationship between Agnes and Bert is completely opposite to Maddie and David. And I think that was good too, to have a different type of relationship on the screen. I know they were trying to reduce screen time for Sybil and Bruce. And I know at the start, I don't think... Fans were very happy about it, but I think over time we've come to appreciate Agnes and Bert. At the time, it was all about Maddie and David, and all of a sudden they're like, hang on, where are they? But I think you get enough of them on screen in this episode anyway. Oh, yeah. I mean, for a while, yes, but then it became, you know, they had to just do more and more of, you know, if it was a more balanced thing. But, yeah, not everybody loved it. I was talking to somebody I I met a couple of weeks ago, and was telling them I do this podcast on moonlighting. And oh, yeah, I remember moonlighting. But I hated it when Booger joined the cast, is what he said. Uh-huh. So not everyone loved it, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think at the time, because it was a bit of a distraction and their parts grew and grew and grew as Sybil and Bruce became more unavailable, you mm-hmm. know. And then that was frustrating for people. Not mm-hmm. that they're not great, not that we can't appreciate them now looking back and knowing this is all we've got. I can appreciate them on screen and stuff. And their relationship mirrors a little, like in the beginning, a little bit, Maddie and David, just with the chasing a little bit, you know, and there's some conversations that Maddie has, like with the Herbert character yeah. and stuff where it's like, oh, Maddie, maybe you should take your own advice. But um, yeah, I don't know. I, I've heard Glenn say they were kind of the anti, you know, they were kind of like the, the opposite, you know, of uh, Maddie and David kind of thing. So yeah, no, eventually their relationship grows in a more healthy way. Let's put it that way. So Maddie says that she needs to see Agnes in her office and then David and Bert, that Mr. Addison would probably like to see Bert in his office. And David's like, I what? Oh, okay, I what? <laughs> yeah, you know. <laughs> I like that little look that Maddie gives, kind of a, you know, blinking smile, like, mm-hmm. We might. Of course we might. Into the woodshed, Viola. Seems like there's a paddle with your name on it. <laughs> and then you get them walking into their respective offices and then there's a head-on shot with the wobblies and they're looking both ways going, ooh, I love that. happen now? They're in trouble. Shauna and I would love you to come and join our Moonlighting community. You can follow our Moonlighting the Podcast Facebook page. You can also follow us on Twitter at moon underscore podcast 85, as well as our YouTube channel. You can also join our Moonlighting the Podcast Facebook group where we talk about everything Moonlighting. What could be better than that? 
Yeah. And the funny thing about that is before they went into their respective offices, everyone was kind of standing in different positions, you know, not really like lined up. But when they do the, ooh, they're very much lined up where you can see each of them very clearly. Yes, they're perfectly and, lined up. Um, <laughs> and the girl that I'm talking about is in that kind of teal dress, by the way, with the blonde hair. Yeah. Yeah, she's so, always at the back. Mm. Yeah, she's always at the back. She's kind of tucked behind Jamie and the ones that are more of uh, regular wobblies. But, uh, yep, have to find a little bit more about this person. So uh, Danielle, our script girl, did give me a little bit of information on this episode. Not too much is different, not too much to note, but the one thing that was uh, different in the original script or one of the first drafts of the script was Maddie and Agnes in her office. It was more like girlfriends giggling about Agnes and this guy um, having a makeup. Yeah, so this scene was different in another draft. But I think it makes sense that they changed it because, you know, it's probably more of an HR thing. Yes. You know, like yes. the workplace, Maddie needs to be serious about what's happened to Agnes. And she assumes that Herbert made advances on her, but it was really the opposite way around, as we find out. So anyway, that scene was written differently in, a, in another draft. Oh, that's interesting. No, it's definitely better the way it's written now. Yeah. It's more Maddie, more serious. She's under the assumption that Herbert initiated the actions. So Maddie wants to know if he hurt her or if he forced himself on her. I like how she says... Agnes, don't be embarrassed. You can talk to me. So, you know, again, another Maddie-Agnes moment, which, yeah. you know, I always love the scenes between them. He just grabbed you and kissed you and threw you on the desk and forced you to return his affections. I love how Agnes says, No, I grabbed him and kissed him and threw him on the desk and forced him to return my affections. <laughs> Maddie, Maddie's face yeah. is priceless. Her chin drops. It's just, it's so good. I love how Maddie reacts to it. <laughs> I know. You don't think he'll press charges, do you? (laughs) Yeah, see, it's an HR issue. I mean, if it were reversed, it would be a serious thing. Yeah. And Agnes looks so little girl-like sitting there, really, like, tucked into the couch. You know, it is very much like mom's mad, Maddie and David's children. (laughs) It's cute. Now, from behind, (laughs) just point it out, it's clearly Maddie's double, you know, when it's on Agnes. The hair is different. And you know what else I noticed in this episode? The posture is different. Mm, okay. Yeah. Standing maybe a little stiffer or something. I don't know. It's just a different. Yeah. I know I what you mean. <laughs> no, I hear you. Okay. So Maddie finds out the truth and she kind of slams into David's office, you know, with this revelation. What did she say? She attacked him? She just, yeah. She said she attacked hit. hit. Mm. She didn't get to finish her sentence oh. and because the, <laughs> she goes, what are you oh. doing? Because David and Bert are playing some strange finger game. It's a thumb war. Thumb war? Thumb war. Okay. Okay. So is this to decide whether he keeps his job or not? I don't know why they're doing it. Or are they just playing? Oh, I think they're kind of supposing how Maddie has a serious conversation and addresses the issue. And David brings Viola into his office and all they end up doing is having a thumb war. I think it's just to show that David's not taking any of it seriously or being a boss. (laughs) <laughs> That's no surprise. Be a, Be a boss, not a buddy. It's all over. Clean out your locker and go home. <laughs> okay. Is that what you're saying? Uh... That's why I thought they were playing because to decide whether Bert gets to stay or not. Okay. And then Maddie's like looking at him. He goes, oh, one more time? As if he was going to have yeah. another go at the game. Right. And Viola's like, I told him. She mm-hmm. attacked me. You know? <laughs> yeah. He wouldn't listen to me. Yep. Now explain this to me. Yeah. So... David starts defending himself, saying that he's been grilling Bert, which he really hasn't. But anyway, he's been 
grilling him every witchy way. I've pelted him with stones. I stitched a scarlet K on his shirt so that everyone would know what kind of knucklehead he is. Yeah. What's that? That's like a reference to two stories, the lottery and the scarlet letter, I would say. Like stoning people, you know, back in the day when someone did something wrong, you the, the town stoned them. Oh, yeah, yeah, right? yeah. No, what do you mean the lottery? Oh, there's a story called The Lottery. I think the author is Shirley Jackson. And it's about um, a town where they have a lottery every year. And if, if your number is drawn, you get stoned by the people. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know. It's brutal. It's kind of like uh, The Hunger Games um, back in the day. It was written many years ago, though, way before that. But um, I don't know if he's directly referencing that, but he's just referencing you know people being stoned to death for like sins. And then uh, I stitched a Scarlet K you know, for Knucklehead, right? Is that what he said? So like the scarlet yeah. letter. Yeah. So everyone would know that he was a knucklehead. So, okay. okay. Such a brucism to a knucklehead. Knucklehead, He, he calls yeah. that to Sybil and he says that in some interviews and things like that. But yeah, that's what I would say. It's, it's referencing. It's my two cents on it. Okay. And I love how suddenly Agnes walks in and yeah. as soon as she walks in, Bert takes a step back. There's a head yeah. on of him taking a step back. It is so cute. He's so scared of her. <laughs> <laughs> Miss yeah, Hayes, yes. Mr. Addison. Oh, hello again. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about, I uh, feel like I just walked in in the middle of a movie. <laughs> <laughs> she just loves him. Yeah. That's, you know, but yes, there's a lot of chasing. So in a way it's like with Maddie and David, it's like David's chasing Maddie. And in this, it's like Agnes is chasing Bert, but like things evolved in their relationship. But yeah, she's definitely just really aggressive with them. I mean, he has to run out of the office while Agnes like chases him. It's kind of weird. Yeah. <laughs> funny, kind of weird. Yeah, it's funny. She's going one way, he's going another. And they're running around the desk. And then what I noticed was the audio of Bert. Now, whether yeah. he did this post-production because the mic wouldn't have been able to follow him because he ran out the door. I could be wrong, but uh-huh. when I listened to it with my, oh, my God, i got brand-new headphones, Shauna, they're amazing. Um, yeah. So I've been listening to that, and when he runs out, he goes, like that, sort of running yeah. out the door, but the audio doesn't sound like it was done at the time. Does that make okay. sense? Yeah, like did it in post, added it in. Yeah, yeah possibly. Could be wrong, yeah. but that's what I thought. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I think they added in, you know, those sounds to make it a little more clear. Like you said, there wasn't a, a mic above his head or anything like when he was doing it. So, and <laughs> I don't know. I always, you know, I'm putting a lot of my own thoughts onto this, you know, but I guess that's what the podcast is all about. I just always feel like this scene now between, you know, where, where he like takes her shoulders, she kind of whips herself away every time he puts his hands on her. <laughs> Um, especially in this scene, these first kind of scenes, to me, um, it'd be fun to hear other people's thoughts. I feel like you can almost see the tension between Sybil and Bruce. It's not a good day for them in general. Just filming this scene, I feel like there's tension on the set. Do you get any sense of that, Grace? Yes. Or is it just me? Yeah. No, no, okay. it's not. No, it's not just you. I've always thought it was a bit, there's something about it. I can't quite put my finger on it. I mean, yeah. she pulls her hand away in the hallway at the start yes. and she's pulling yes. her hand away here again. And the line that she says is quite appropriate 
about what her gardener spreads on the lawn every spring. Debbie, save it. I know this conversation by heart. It's two parts lighten up and ten parts what my gardener spreads on the lawn every spring. Basically, it's full of shit, you know. (laughs) But yes, the body posture, how Sybil's looking at him, the way she doesn't want him touching her. (laughs) I don't know. Yeah, I think a little bit of Bruce and Sybil come out in this scene. Just a bit. Mm-hmm. It possibly was a tense day. You never know. Well, I'm, I'm sure every day was tense, but this particular day, there was something going on. There was something going on. Kind of feel that tension. So, yeah, anyone out there listening, uh, let us know if you felt the same. Mm. And we have to also do a Sybil hair watch, by the way. This was definitely filmed on the same day as part of the first car ride. Take a look at her hair, and I'll show you when they're driving in the car later. Her hair starts out one way, and then things change. Okay. But um, but I like her hair here, kind of that big swoop on the side and everything, and side, side, side. <laughs> but <laughs> anyway, Mrs. Woodley has to kind of make her way into the office on her own. I did take note of a little bit of the hair because I actually went back and watched Symphony again. Yeah. I can't get over how the part was on this side and then the next cut, the part was on that side. I, it happens so often. something I'd never noticed before. So I took a bit more notice with this episode, but I think she looks absolutely gorgeous in this episode, especially later in the yellow dress. Yeah, no, and I love this white outfit. That's what we're talking about season three, like the production value, the clothing, the hair, the makeup, you know, just everything is just elevated. Looks great. It's just really lovely tailored clothing and I love her outfits. Yes. You know, yeah, the yellow dress, but I love this white one too. She looks gorgeous in white. Yeah, it's, it's all really good. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. But yes, Mrs. Woodley had to come in because the secretary was running past her so fast. (laughs) Excuse me. I'm not certain if this is the office I was supposed to walk into or not. The receptionist was running by me so fast. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Gail Woodley had her own music. So as soon as she walks in, the Gail Woodley music starts. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. I like it. Okay. So Gail Woodley comes in and they sit her down, you know, obviously in a place where like they can just film her and Sybil and Bruce can go away. Mm. Not really sitting on the other side of it. Is she looking in the right place, Grace, when she's telling her story? Uh, I think so. Yeah. I didn't get the impression she was looking in the wrong place. The only thing I would say is she looks only in one place. Her head doesn't go back and forth to Maddie and David. I thought she was looking a little to the left. Like she was only looking at David. So it's like if Maddie and David were actually sitting in front of her, you know, your head would go back and forth. That's true. Yeah, that's true. I didn't think it was quite right. The way she delivers a story, she's very manic, kind of. I just think it's such a, I'm this, I'm that. Mm. 
she's telling the story in kind of a manic and panicked way. I don't know. Yeah, I think it's something that she never thought that she would do or get involved in. She loves her husband, and as she said, she would never do anything to harm the marriage. She tells them that, now this is where the timeline, I was trying to work it out. So she tells them that two and a half years ago, she receives a letter. So this Mm -hmm. is all when it started. Yes. And it's been going on since. She tells them about the post office box and um, he knows all about her. He knows what dress she wore last Thursday and the smell of her perfume and all that sort of thing. She doesn't know who the person is. It could be anybody. She was a bit frightened, so she put the letter away. But a week later, she took it out again and reread it and she became more intrigued. So then she felt a bit reckless. So, of course, one rainy day, as she says, <laughs> of course it was raining, wasn't it, Sean? Yeah, of course. One rainy um, day. Yeah. She decides to write back to him. And she gave it to the postman because she thought she might back out. So she waited. Now, a week later, she receives another letter, only this time it's more personal and more intimate. So then she found herself going to the mailbox every morning and checking for a letter. Then she'd see men down the street wondering if one of them was him and blah, blah. Now, this is where, so the 10th wedding anniversary was a month ago. Her husband surprises her with a cruise. Somehow the friend found out and he was not pleased because the mail would be delayed by the time it got to the cruise ship. Now, I don't know how the friend would have found out, because by this stage it wasn't the husband writing. Unless it was. See, this is where we don't know. It's all a bit um, bit confusing. But anyway, anyway, he was getting upset because now she was on a cruise, you wouldn't be able to communicate with her, blah, blah. And then he started suggesting something darker. So obviously he's suggesting that they kill her husband or something. So it'll be another mm-hmm. dream sequence. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so the letters started to get angrier and darker. So she asked Maddie and David to find him and stop him because she's realized now that possibly she shouldn't have been doing that, that she's not about to leave her husband or do anything that he suggested. She's scared that he might have her address, even though really he's only got the post office box, but what's to stop him from phoning her at home or showing up at her home? It started out as being fun. Kind of like making love with a blindfold on. But this isn't fun anymore. Mm. So she's yeah. a bit worried that this has gone a bit too far now. Yeah. Wants yeah. Maddie and David to help her stop it. Okay. So the plot is, okay, ultimately we find out that her husband is the one writing these letters and that he was trying to spice up their marriage, but she actually thought it was someone else who responded. That's what he kind of explains in the end. And then, but does he get the other guy involved? Just to have someone to point to, you know, so she doesn't ultimately find out that it's him writing the letters. And why is he bringing her on a cruise and then making it really complicated by being angry that she's going on a cruise? You know what I mean? It's like he's gaslighting her. He's creating this whole mess in her mind. You know, he's taking her on a cruise and then like writing letters that he's angry as this like pen pal that he's angry that she's leaving on a cruise. You know, I don't understand his motives. (laughs) One could be, okay. Well, one could be that, okay, let's me take her away, get away from this letter writing because he knows yeah. or she doesn't know that it's him. Yeah. Or he wants to spice it up, go away together and maybe everything will be okay. Um, yeah. Who knows what's going through his mind. But initially getting Peter Macy involved, that was innocent. He was just, well, we get to that, but yeah. I think that yeah. was innocent. But then by the end he thought he has to use him because he's murdered his wife so now he has to blame it on somebody else. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. So okay, yeah, yeah. I know. Spouses die a lot in moonlighting. Um, 
And yeah, and the plots are very convoluted as we know. But you know, it's always fun to try to figure out like what was happening. Mm. Yeah. So anyway, basically what Mrs. Woodley wants, she wants to hire Maddie and David to tell Mr. Macy to stop writing her or to tell whoever is sending these letters, it needs to end. She loves her husband. Nothing dark is going to happen and she's not going to leave him. So let's end it here. That's basically what she wants. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, and you know what? It would have been great if if Mr. Woodley knew about this conversation because all this would not have happened. (laughs) I know. Yeah. It's so funny. It's so funny. Now, uh, just another thing that I noted when they show shots of Maddie and David just listening, I see some tired eyes. <laughs> Do you see tired eyes? Um, I remember Sybil, one of her quotes, I think she was really talking more about um, probably season five. She said that she and Bruce were sometimes like sleeping with their eyes open kind of thing. Long days, lots of dialogue and everything like that. Sometimes I could just see it on them a little bit. Maybe not so much here. I don't know. Maybe a little bit more on Bruce. But yeah, they have some reaction shots. Sybil looks a little wide-eyed. Bruce, to me, just looks maybe a little tired. But actually, you know what? We do have a little insight on this because Curtis said his first day on the moonlighting set, Bruce was hungover. Oh, he had been out well, for- that's a good observation by you, Shauna, because I didn't notice that. So maybe that's what I'm seeing on Bruce, that he's looking a little hungover and tired Yeah, from the night before, if this is the same day. And I think it is based on Maddie's hair. Mm. Anyway, yeah, those are my thoughts on that scene. Mrs. Woodley is Brooke Bundy. And if you're a Nightmare on Elm Street fan, you would recognize her. She was Elaine Parker in Nightmare on Elm Street 4, The Dream Master, and A Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors. Her career goes back to about 1963. So she did all the the usual TV shows, Man from Uncle, Dr. Kildare, Mission Impossible. Um, I wonder if she worked with Jerry Finneman because he worked on Mission Impossible for a little while. So basically what she's mainly known for is Nightmare on Elm Street 3 and 4, Mission Mm -hmm. Impossible, and she was in Star Trek The Next Generation as well. Oh, okay. Yep, she made the rounds. Yep. So that's Brooke Bundy. Okay. All right. Right. Now we have a car scene. You love car scenes, Shauna. I do. Who's driving, Shauna? I didn't notice. (laughs) <laughs> David, yeah. I don't I don't know that Maddie drives in this episode. Mm. No, Maddie doesn't drive. I think David drives both times they're in the car. No, when they arrive at Mrs. Woodley's house, she's driving. Oh, that's right. So, yes, Maddie does drive at one point, yes. So one thing to note from past scripts, this car scene originally had them talking about love letters, mentioning love letters, or Maddie saying that she had saved a bunch of love letters or has a box of love letters or something which would kind of tie in with the end when they're writing the letters. Oh. But that was cut. So just FYI, just to mention it. Okay. All right, Grace. This is a fun one, Grace. <laughs> Did you, I don't know if you noticed what I noticed, but okay. We start off, you know, um, on Maddie and yes, you know, they have this whole car about like, what is the world today? And, and stuff like that. This whole car talk, which is yep. the good car talk. It's uh, some real insight into Maddie's mind. Yeah. So with the hair, okay. She's got that one swoop down and kind of, I'm going to talk about us looking at her. So on the right, it's a big swoop and it swoops back. And on the, le- on the left, it is kind of pulled up, almost pinned up. Oh. Okay. Like you can really see her earrings. You can really like see her face and her ears and her earrings and everything. Okay. So just note that because it changes right halfway through here, different day. I think 
how they are right now with her hair. They filmed part of the car scene and what they filmed in the office, what we just saw that first scene in the office and half of this car scene was filmed on the same day. And then you can 100% see where it's a different day in the middle of this car scene. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Because his tie changes and her hair changes. And and suddenly he's chewing gum. Oh my God, Shauna, what an observation. (laughs) So you've actually pieced together possibly what they filmed on one particular day from different Mm -hmm. cuts. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fantastic. I love it. (laughs) Yeah, there's a clear defining moment. It's right after he says, when we start showering together, what side do you want me to scrub first? Okay, (laughs) then it changes. The next line is, okay, his tie is done up. Actually, the color changes. You can actually see, you know, the film is a little bit different. His tie is done up a little bit higher. Her hair is down. You can't see her ears. You can barely see the earrings through. Yeah, just watch. Oh, it's my a totally God. Different. I have to go yeah. back and watch and, it again. Yeah, and he's chewing gum and everything. So there you go. Oh, thank you for that. I'm going to have to go back and have a look at that. You're right. It just happens so fast. You've really got to be observant. Yeah. Yeah, her hair changes suddenly, and then, yeah, suddenly he's chewing gum and whatever. Anyway. Maddie wants to know how long this is going to take because I have to get up at 6 o'clock every morning to get to the post office to see if Mm -hmm. this guy arrives to pick up his mail. And Mm -hmm. I would like to congratulate you guys for a post office that opens at (laughs) 7am. Did the post office really open at 7am? Sounds a bit early, but that's funny. No, not here. I don't know. Yeah. I wouldn't even know if it opened at seven back in that day, but it Mm. sounds a bit early, but yeah, um, that's funny. David's basically saying to her that, well, have you got a, a better way to catch this Romeo? Look at the bright side. Who knows how many mornings? Mine will be the first face you'll see. And he's got that big smile on his face. But Maddie's not having any of it. Yes. Gosh, that, that's a dream. So many of us would love that. But Maddie, Maddie doesn't give a crap. <laughs> she doesn't <laughs> want to save it that early every day. And what does he do? Like, does he take the car and pick her up? Or I guess she picks him up. I don't know. I always have to like, think about Who that. Knows? This car, seriously, this poor car <laughs> gets battered from pillar to post literally later. I know, it's true, yes. You know, this is good practice. When we start showering together, which side do you want me to scrub first? <laughs> it's just a Davidism. Yeah, he always says something like that. He just showering. wants a reaction. I know, that's true. You're right. You're right. So Maddie's very pensive. She's wondering what the hell has happened to the world. And he puts the radio on and she turns it off and then she decides to tell him. So he proceeds to tell her about, well, you got your arms raised, you got your assorted diseases, apartheid in Africa. She goes, maybe it's me. Maybe it's she's the only one who gets upset about seeing a secretary lay a man across her desk like a blotter or chase him around an office like Pepe Le Pew. I love Pepe Le Pew. I know, me too. I did love that. So she's wondering what happened to the old-fashioned way of meeting a person. Uh, You meet someone, you flirt with them a little, you flirt with them a little more, you go out, you fall in love, you get married and you stay married. So she's wondering, well, what the hell happened to all that? I know. He brings her back to the 80s. It's the 80s, Maddie. And and you know what? From everything he's describing, not much has changed um, here in 2023, you know. Yeah, it's kind of an extension of the conversation they were having in Symphony about dating, you know, Maddie's expectation of relationships and dating and how it should evolve and turn into something and and have longevity. And it's really on Maddie's mind. Because she's not one to be spontaneous. She wants to start a slow relationship, get to know somebody, 
Yeah. Then get married and stay married. That's what Maddie's looking for, you know? And yeah, like you said, you know, David uh, starts to give her a little bit of a wake up. You know, it's the it's the 80s, Maddie. He says, I mean, this is the 80s, Maddie. And in the 80s, you take your romance where you can find it. And if that means a 22 cent postage stamp, fine. It means a buck to rent an adult video. That's fine, too. Maybe it's a two dollar toll call to someone you never met who would say things you would never utter to someone you know. It's all romance. That's not romance. That's dirty solitaire. Yeah. <laughs> and I love how he, I just love how he ends the scene when he says, These are great times we're living in, huh? It no longer takes two to tango. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. The start of that video age of, yeah, I guess pornography or whatever it is talking about, you know, I mean, video stores and stuff like that. But that's not the world that Maddie wants to live in, you know? Well, you know what? So- She's had plenty of time to get to know David. That's really slow. (laughs) Yeah, come on. Grow that relationship, Maddie. She doesn't like how these relationships are all kind of, yeah, this whole like Gail Woodley, you know, um, she's in a marriage and then she's like this pen pal and it's becoming complicated. And then, yeah, I guess like Agnes and her, the whole Agnes and Herbert thing are like on her mind as well. Yes, that's right. She's comparing what's happened that day between Herbert and Agnes and then Mr. and Mrs. Woodley. Yeah. She's having a good think about it. Yeah, it's a good conversation. It's more insight into Maddie's thinking and it's interesting. I don't know, just highlights the differences, you know, between them, how they see relationships and stuff like that. But like I said, kind of an extension of Symphony and Knocked Flat. Yes. Maddie wants to be wooed. Maddie wants to date. Maddie wants love to grow and to get married. That's what we're hearing. Yeah, I really like the continuity there, how they've continued on that conversation from Symphony. Yeah. We hope you're enjoying listening to Moonlighting the podcast. And for all you devoted Moonlighting fans out there, we now have Moonlighting merchandise. Check it out at redbubble.com slash people slash moonpod2016. Well, then we get to the post office. And guess what, Grace? I've visited this location. It looks like a lovely old post office. Yes. When I was there, it wasn't being used anymore. But the bones are there. You know, you can walk through these doors that they're going to walk through now. There's that kind of awning as you walk into the big hallway they kind of walk through this like it almost looks like um i don't know what it is anyway there's a doorway kind of thing that they walk through that looks like a particular way it's still there that looks like a windbreaker to stop the wind coming through okay. mm-hmm. yeah that makes sense blow around the mail <laughs> now where they're sitting i think people can still pick up their mail there but where they actually sit and wait all of those boxes They've put up a wall now, so you can't actually, like those boxes aren't there anymore. So it's really just like the hallway, the entranceway and stuff like that. It's kind of far out. It's not like in the city center or anything like that. It's on the outskirts of Los Angeles. So it took a bit of a drive to go out there, but yeah, found the address and it out one day and you could walk in there. Yeah. So it was pretty cool. At least at that time you could walk in. Mm, well, that's on my list too then. David says. Exactly 7 a.m. I love this country. <laughs> Yeah, very prompt. And lots of people there, Grace. They're not the only ones waiting to get into that post office. I know. But I love how they they walk in and there's extras walking in behind them. Uh-huh. And when they start filming on the inside, the extras walk in in the wrong order. Okay. <laughs> the continuity was off on this one. They did a good <laughs> job on the opening scene, but this one is off and we will be looking. They can't hide it from us. There was a lady that was supposed to walk in second, but she walks in third. Okay. All right. So they walk in and they find the post office box that they're going to keep an eye on, kind of sit under and tell what they're basically waiting for is um, for the person to come pick up the mail. Then they'll know who's writing Mrs. Woodley. Yeah, that makes sense. They know the post PO box. 
go sit under it, wait for the person to pick up the mail, follow him, know who's writing Mrs. Woodley, tell him to stop writing her. That's basically the plan. Apparently, David loves the post office because he says when he was in junior high, the post office was his game. Yeah. Interesting. (laughs) Yep. I don't know what game that is, but okay. Yeah, it's like she said, you seem very happy for someone who's going to sit on a cold, hard floor for days on it, you know. (laughs) Yeah, he's got a little swagger on him and uh, he's happy. He looks very happy. But, you know, he's going to be spending all this time with Maddie. I bet he's loving that. But I yeah. compared I compared this scene to the scene in Symphony when they're looking up the FBI's phone number, um, uh-huh. and here they're looking for four six nine two, and yeah. they're both going four five. You know, they're mentioning numbers. You know, like they yes. were with the phone book. Oh, they are. Yeah. Okay. Because they're looking for four six nine two, and they're both going four five six to find the number, and they say it out loud. But wait, they were looking for the number of the FBI, weren't they? They weren't looking to call the post office. No, no, no. I'm just saying the similarity between it, how they were saying. Because you know how when they were looking. Oh, uh, I see what you're saying. I I told, okay. When they were looking for the post office box, it's similar to what they were doing in Symphony when they were looking for the FBI phone number. Got it. Got it. Okay, I got you. Yes. I like when David says, there's a little scoundrel. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> he says it funny, doesn't he? Yeah. There's yeah. A scoundrel. There's a little scoundrel. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. That took me a minute to catch on to what you were saying. I, I got you. Okay. Yeah. And then uh, the little like sound effects, you know, what they start like taking turns sitting. One walks and one sits, I guess. One gets a break and one sits vigilantly underneath the post office box. And it's like time passing music. Yep. Um, it's cute. And. The little things that they say in between are kind of cute as well. And I think Bruce almost laughs out of character when uh, he says he was looking at the top 10 most wanted, left me wanting. Is that what he says? Yeah. She says, how were the wanted posters? He said, they left me wanting. And then Maddie goes, still haven't made the top 10. What can I say? I'm doomed to be underappreciated. And she smiles when he says that. And he almost laughs. He like... Looks away not to laugh out of character. He, he does like a little, he, he does that where he like pushes his head forward a little bit to like not laugh, you know? So yeah, there was some kind of inside joke or they were laughing and she's laughing, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and now I'm laughing. I don't know why that makes me laugh, but you could just almost see like there was this little kind of little inside joke there or something. It is yeah. funny. And as she walks off, I've never noticed. He says, bye. Did you hear that? Yeah. He goes, yeah. bye. Hmm. Cute. Then like some days pass, right? They stay there all day. She's dressed in yellow. She's written to her mother, her father, her Aunt Grace. Her Aunt Grace. I know. Maddie said your name. I was so happy for you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, she's got her pink paper and she's writing. She's in a yellow dress, but it's not the same yellow dress she's wearing later, is it? I don't think so. I think they're different. We'll compare. No, well, when I've counted the outfit changes, it's a different one. So it okay. must be a different one. And she salutes him. Yes. And I love how David says, well, at least you won't have to go far to mail them. Yeah, I know. <laughs> now, does Bruce have a tan or a sunburn on his face in this episode? Yeah, I think he's like living out in Malibu. He's living the good life now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he's getting a lot of sun. I'm sure of it. Okay. And then it kind of fades into the next scene. Maddie's wearing pink. She's writing something, Grace. And we've got what she wrote. 
I couldn't get what she wrote. I know you've got it. It was too blurry for me. I couldn't read it. Okay. So Maddie is writing something and what she's written there, it says, I being of sound mind execute this last will and testament on this 24th day of October, 1986. I leave my house to my husband, David, and my six children. My car, I leave to my mother in the hopes that she will not get as many speeding tickets as I have gotten. Isn't that funny? Is that Sybil writing that? Or is that production? Six children, husband David, speeding tickets? I think that's production's wishful thinking. (laughs) The six children. Yeah. Oh, that's good that you got that because I couldn't read what she was writing. And I was trying to see whether it was actually her writing it. You can't really tell. They've still got the bangle on. and Yeah. You know, is it Sybil? Is it? And now it doesn't pan out to show that. Yeah, but it does show, you know, Sybil is holding like a pad with a lot of writing on it. Mm. Oh, that's great. Love that. Yep. I agree. Love it. But I love how she's writing and he comes up what are you writing now and she goes my will this place is making me suicidal i love it she says that (laughs) i know yeah i'm sitting on that that floor for days i don't blame her make sure you leave me something consider yourself left and consider yourself left i love it that is so cute god maddie's purses were big holding that big bag that big like yeah her big clutches i know those clutches and uh, I was trying to see if that pink outfit was from another episode. But um, anyway, finally, finally, after days of waiting, someone uh, comes to the P.O. box. Yeah, so David is woken by somebody opening a post office box. He looks up and it's the right one. So he follows him out of the post office and then runs out and tells Maddie, who was sitting outside, come yeah. on, our mystery guest just signed in. Hmm? And apparently I looked that up and that's from the show What's My Line? Would that yeah. be correct? Yes. Our mystery guest has arrived. That was like a line on that show, and then people had to kind of guess who was visiting by asking them questions. Now, question I have. David says, that's him, the dapper-looking vagrant, studying that letter from Publishers Clearing House. How can he okay. see it from there? <laughs> Maybe he's just joking. Yeah, no, it's just funny. <laughs> yeah. Publisher's Clearinghouse was like something that people got in the mail all the time. Yeah. Do you know it? Okay. I've heard of it, yeah. We had something similar here. Okay. So he tells Maddie to check the number on the bus while he goes and gets the car. The guy gets on the bus and they follow along. Follow that bus. I've always wanted to say that. (laughs) (laughs) I know, right? Yeah. Follow that bus. So she gets in the car. So now we have another car scene. Dave is driving. They're following the bus. I love how she goes, I don't know, David. Sure you do. He looks like me. <laughs> no, I don't know, David. <laughs> yeah, so um, they both have their sunglasses on, and Sybil was saying it in, at some point that they made the lenses more flat so they wouldn't always reflect. Sometimes you can see the crew reflected in their glasses, but I think you kind of see this with Bruce's glasses here. They The lenses are more flat. You don't get so much of a reflection. But anyway. Well, Maddie is, she's a little bit onto it. Because she's looking at him and she's thinking that's not the person she thought was writing the letters because they were pretty well written and she thought he'd be more well to do or at least better to do yeah, or like he took a bath once in a while. So they follow the bus and it looks like a bit of a seedy location, not a flash part of town. Um, Yeah. Now, this is where I noticed a goof. Um, Okay. The guy gets off. 
So David goes, yeah. wait a second, put your seats in full upright position. We may be coming in for a landing. Uh-huh. Um, the bus stops conveniently okay. right at his front door. Yeah. Like in gunfight as well. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, the guy walks into the building and if you look at the door, the door's mm-hmm. got three metal stripes going horizontally across the door. Yeah. But a few minutes later when Maddie and David walk in, it's not the same door. Okay. Right. Mm-hmm. There's just like a handle and it's a clear glass door. Yeah. Well, okay. when they walk in, it's just one stripe on the door. Okay. It's a different place anyway. You are correct, Grace. Good observation. They go in. Now, Sybil's hair is different. <laughs> it's very... Oh, oh come curly. on. <laughs> okay. God, um, well, she kind of has that kind of curly helmet-y hair for most of the episode. But here, yeah, it's a little bit different altogether. You can take a look. It's not as curly in this little particular scene they have where they... Yeah, they walk in and there's just two mailboxes. <laughs> there's so many mailboxes in this. There's a woman <laughs> or a Mr. P. Macy yeah. to be. Now, why only two mailboxes? Because when they go down the hall, there's more than one. Is there more than one door? I mean, there are more, more than two doors. When he's walking down the hall, it's like there's a door on the right. There's a door ahead. Yeah, there's at least three doors there. But it seems like in this building, there would just be more than two people living in it. But who knows? Anyway, they follow him into the building. They go up the stairs. And I guess they kind of peek around while he's walking down the hallway. and makes his way to his door, unlocks his door, goes inside. Maddie and David are, you know, as they do peek kind of around the wall down the hallway. There's a, a really old payphone right behind them in some graffiti. It is true with this Mr. P. Macy, if you think about it, the Woodley's house, the beautiful home in Hancock Park, she doesn't know who this man is and who she's corresponding with. But yeah, I agree with Maddie. This is not what we're picturing here, especially because Mrs. Woodley said this person was close enough to like know her perfume and what she was wearing and all of that, right? This man would be out of place in like Mrs. Woodley's world. If she knew who she was communicating with, I'd say she would stop it straight away. Yeah. And they've definitely made it, you know, trashed. You know, there's garbage, overflowing garbage. And Maddie's starting to feel very uncomfortable about all this. Yeah. She's not comfortable in being there. Um, She's still not convinced that it's him because, as I said, the letters were so well written. And his lodgings, I think, a bit unexpected, not where she expected him to live. Um, Yeah. It's a hovel. It's a hovel, Maddie. Many major writers yeah. lived and worked and died in hovels. Yeah. He's trying to convince her, you know, just because he lives here doesn't mean he couldn't be like a prolific writer. She's feeling uncomfortable, definitely, you know, and he's kind of driving this all forward, kind of convincing her like, come on, we got to talk to this guy and do what we've been told to do. Tell him not to write her anymore. And he starts knocking on the door and pounding on the door. And David's just kind of leading this charge, right? To the point where he kicks in the door, you know, against Maddie's. <laughs> he's like, don't kick in his door. Yeah, it's it's really good because he walks backward as if he's going to charge forward to break the door down. And she's like, what, 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 what are you doing? Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's funny because then this scene, you know, ties into the next time they show up and when she wants him to kick the door, you know. But yeah. this is his door. He, you know, like he's had it since. Uh, he was a people. Yeah, the people or something. Yeah, it's funny. <laughs> so that's so, another bit of great continuation. Yeah. And they kind of change roles halfway through their perspective on all of this. But so. basically, David is saying while they're arguing, the guy is probably opening his window and going down the fire escape. Mm-hmm. So, and again, guess what, Shauna? There's a chain on the door. There's a chain on the door. Yeah, I know. Exactly. 
So he continues to speak to him, but he's not responding. And then he finishes kicking the door down. The guy looks up and then David grabs him and pushes him against the wall. This is when Peter Macy explains that he cannot speak and he cannot hear either. So Maddie begins to tell him the story about Gail, doesn't want him to communicate with her anymore. It's just a game that it was fun Mm -hmm. and it's not fun anymore. In the meantime, Bruce does some great acting here without saying anything. Yeah. Um, He has this really sad look on his face and he's confused as well. And they just keep turning to Bruce as Maddie's trying to explain everything to Mr. Macy. I think he's feeling pretty bad for treating him that way in the first place. Yeah. Um, I like this scene because, yes, as soon as they find out that he's deaf, and by the way, again, in the original script, he was not deaf. So that's something they changed and added in maybe to make him more sympathetic. I think that totally works. And it kind of ties to... um, a later scene, which I'll explain more about that, you know, when we get to it. But I like this because you can see how uncomfortable David is and he looks so sad and like, whoa, caught off guard that this guy is deaf and everything, you know, mm-hmm. and he's trying to explain and everything. I, yeah. I love it when he says, Mr. Mason. He understands. And then also like when they're leaving, Maddie says, I hate this job. It just shows like the ugly side of the job. I mean, usually when we're going through these cases with them, like they're kind of having fun. It's sad because yeah. this guy can't, really communicate back to them. Exactly. But he does in a way because you can tell by the way he's looking at the letters and he does say the word Gail. You can tell in a way he has communicated with them that he's really sad about this. He doesn't want to stop. Yeah, he's like, no. And Maddie's like, no, it's a game. See, it's a game. That's all. A game. Understand? And it looks like he's possibly lip-reading. That's why she's talking slowly. Yeah, that's what I'm guessing is how he's understanding what they're saying. And David gives him some money for the door. Yeah, Bruce does great acting. Yeah, his face just looks so uncomfortable and sad. And like we said, Maddie hates this job. <laughs> I was quite impressed by the set decoration in his room. I mean, that room, that's it. Probably a bathroom off that door. Yeah. But that room, it's his bedroom. It's his kitchen. It's his dining room. It's everything. Yeah. yeah. And I like yep. the little touches, the props they put in the room. Mm-hmm. And I love I love the old type table. Too. And... <laughs> yep. Got to have that in there. He's writing his letters on. Okay. Anything else about that scene? The lighting was appropriate to how dark, as in dark, the scene was. As yeah. As in the content and the, and the dialogue. Unfortunately, it was a bit, yeah, it was a sad scene. Yeah. I think it was on set. I don't think it was on location. Just looking out the window, the window looked a little bit like a set. Yeah, yep. They've delivered their message, and they walk away not feeling great about it. But Bobbing, <laughs> <laughs> Maddie's got Maddie's got another idea, and um, we and have feet out of the elevator. Feet out of the elevator, mm. absolutely. Yes, Maddie in her yellow dress, making her way very yeah upbeat. Maddie, right? She yeah. looks absolutely stunning. Her hair, her dress. I love how she looks in this scene. Mm-hmm. She's in great shape. Yeah. In season three. Yeah. I mean, she always is. But like, yeah, you can see her. She's really got that beautiful hourglass figure and the clothes are accentuating it perfectly. So she walks out of the elevator down the hallway to Blue Moon, opens the door and says, Mr. Addison in yet. Um, but how does she know Agnes is there? Because she's under the table. Did um, she hear something? She hears something. 
She just yeah. walks straight past the podium. It's so funny. So yeah. Agnes and Herbert respond, yes, and she stops and turns around and they both appear from below the podium and poor Herbert keeps saying, help me. I'm sorry. Help I'm sorry. Me. Um, help me. <laughs> and he really looks like he's been holding his breath. His face is bright red. and Bright red. Oh, my God. And Maddie uh, quite sternly says, knock it off. I love that. So yeah. he goes back to his desk. And that's really all she needs to say. It is like ridiculous. Come on, guys. Yeah. Maddie's dress is different from, um, I mean, we know, but I'm just pointing it out. It has the little stripes on it and stuff like that. Different from the post office yeah. yellow dress. Yeah, it's beautiful. <laughs> yeah, and I'll let you take this scene because as I know it's one of your favorites, Grace. So. <laughs> I love this scene. Yeah. I yes, love this scene. So Maddie is feeling bad about telling Mr. Macy that he can't write to Mrs. Woodley anymore. So she barges into David's office. I've counted that as a slam because she slams it open. Mm-hmm. I've got an idea. I'll put the snippet in. David says, excuse me, an idea, you know, an original thought, you know, <laughs> you've heard of them. Anyway, I was just lying in my bed last night, just lying there feeling terrible about having to tell that poor man that he couldn't write Miss Woodley anymore. But suddenly, ba-bing, I get this idea. Ba-what? Ba-what? <laughs> huh? I thought I just heard you say ba-bing. And so what if I said Bubbing? So what? And she sits on his desk, which I always love. You know, we both love that. David, I suddenly realize. Why are you looking at me like that? Huh? Why are you looking at me like that? You're doing me. I'm what? (laughs) I love it when she says. I'm what? The actual cut of her saying that. Oh, she looks fabulous. And I don't know whether we've discussed this before or not, but in the promos, it's not the same cut when she says okay so this is when david realizes that she is doing him you're doing me maddie you come here you slam the door you say bubbing you sit on the corner of the desk i know what i'm talking about maddie hayes it's not just some idea i plucked out of the air willie now i'm doing you (laughs) david and maddie's like david are you all right trust me doing this backwards we'll just go into your office and start all over again now yes I think I've noticed a little something in this scene, which I've never noticed before. Now, I could be wrong, but I want everybody to check for me. After they have their little discussion, he grabs her and takes her outside his office through through the past the wobblies, which we'll talk about in a minute, and into her office. I could swear she is wearing slip-ons. I've done it in slow motion, but she is walking so fast that it's a bit hard to tell. But I can see her heel, as in the heel of her foot. Mm -hmm. So I think she's wearing slip-ons as he forces her out the door. Yeah. But it's hard to see. So I don't know if anybody else wants to check that out. Yeah, I was looking at that too. And yes, it is very hard to see. It doesn't quite look like her pump, her heel. I agree. She's wearing something else. Yeah. Hard to see what it is though. But, you know, Sybil. She wasn't going to be wearing those heels. Because they're not the same shoes that she was wearing when she came out of the elevator. Yep. Anyway. No, I think you're right about that. Yeah, other, other people can take a look. Um, and yeah. as as they're walking through the office, you know, again, my gosh, Agnes is getting a little aggressive. <laughs> you know, he's got the chair up, uh, Viola's on the desk, you know, and kind of like a lion tamer batting away. It's like, my gosh, horny, horny Agnes. It is such a great scene because you've got Maddie and David with their little problem about reversing <laughs> yeah. roles. And then as yeah. they walk past, they use that time 
to yeah. to put Agnes and Herbert in the background, and he's he's fighting her off with a chair. It is hilarious. Funny, yeah. It's like the two things are going on at once, but yes, not just like fully acknowledged, but just there in the background. Yeah, it's pretty funny. And um, it's it's really good. How David says there's certain things that happen certain ways. You sleep at night, wake up in the morning. You kiss before you pet. I say, but being all day, excuse me, that it all happens in your office, and that is just the way it is. So they end up in her office, and he sits her down, and he sits on her desk. So we're back in to the reverse positions, which is great. Another thing I noticed here is that there's definitely a door wrangler that closed the door for them. Oh, okay. Okay, I didn't notice that when he, like, brings her through. Yeah, they sort of walk in, um, not touching the door, but then you hear the door shut. Yep, okay. So one thing I remember about this episode is that Sybil, she didn't like this plot. She didn't like this storyline. She didn't like that Maddie would be encouraging a woman to keep corresponding with, with a man that was making her uncomfortable. It seems out of character, like, why would I do this? Why would Maddie encourage her, like, oh, it makes you uncomfortable and you don't want to be talking to this man, but do it anyway, encouraging her to do that. So what I was thinking was maybe they made the man deaf to make him more sympathetic, you know, because uh, Maddie's argument is like, he's harmless. He's a harmless little man who just needs the enjoyment. So I'm just wondering if they changed the plot a little bit to make the man more sympathetic because Sybil wasn't really comfortable with like Maddie encouraging a woman to keep corresponding with someone doing something that was making her feel uncomfortable, I guess, and interfering with her marriage. Every time I watch this episode, I agree. Every time I watch Mm -hmm. it that I look at it and think, is that something really Maddie would, Mm -hmm. would Maddie really take that side? It seems more like something David would would say, yeah, no worries, let her, yeah, she can keep talking to him, no problems. And her being the more conservative type saying, no, no, it's not right. So for her to have this point of view, I agree with Sybil, but you're even more observant with regards to the man, how they changed the gentleman's disability. Yeah, That maybe helped Sybil to be able to say, this poor guy, he won't hurt anybody. You're right, yeah. But I agree. I wouldn't have thought Maddie would have said, yeah, I think she could talk to him. But they needed to use that so they reversed the roles. So, (laughs) you know. I know. Yeah, for the plot and things like that had to be done. But yeah, it does. But yeah, Maddie's just adamant, you know, let's let's just like tell her, you know, we've met it. Like now that we know who he is, he's harmless. You know, could she just write with the guy? It's like she has so much sympathy for this guy that she's just trying to like keep that thing going on in his life, I guess. And um, she's trying to get David to go meet with Mrs. Woodley and tell her this. But David doesn't want to, of course. David thinks it's a crazy idea. Mrs. Woodley paid them a good lot of money to stop this guy. But Maddie's being the romantic in this scene. Yeah. She thinks it might be fun. This isn't a love that anybody expects to be consummated. It's a love from yeah. afar. So she's thinking it's harmless. They can keep writing to each other. But that's wrought with danger. But anyway. Yeah. And David, <laughs> this is great. David says, it ain't a love from uh, anywhere. He's a nut. Now, whether he's a disabled nut or a sympathetic nut or chock full of nuts, he's a nut. Take it from your old buddy, Dry Rose, today. Yeah, I love that. Yep, I love that line. Are you coming? No. N-O. Are you coming? N-O. <laughs> <laughs> and then he does the hand signal. One, two. <laughs> David. That's when she goes to walk out. He goes, where are you going? I'm going to Mrs. Woodley's. Are you coming? She walks to the door. No, N-O, he's not going. 
and she slams the door. She comes back in, David, and he says no, and she slams the door again. And then, boom, we're straight to a car scene. Yeah, and um, they break the fourth wall. He says, come on, you knew I was going to go. We still got half a show left. And he says this at the 26-minute mark, approximately. Yes, about 20 minutes left, yeah. yeah. I like how, as he's doing that, Maddie just kind of glances over at him. He doesn't respond at all. It's cute. I like it. Thank you for listening to Yours Very Deadly, part one. Join us next week for part two. Well, until next time. I'm Grace. And I'm Shauna. Thank Thank you for for listening listening to to Moonlighting the Podcast. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.